quick invocation. I'm recording. Do you oh. want it recorded? Sure. It may or may not be in the show. Okay. Your ancestors are calling to you. Expect miracles. <laughs> oh my God. Welcome to We Rise. Um, this is our first show in a while and certainly our first show of the season here in the northern hemisphere of autumn um that was kelsey's dreamy voice and we're about to do intros in a second but that couldn't have been a more appropriate introduction for this episode of we rise which is the witching hour part two i am kat petru and i'm stoked to be your host for the hour and I'm joined in studio and on the phone by four badass witches. Do folks want to do a round of introductions? Sure. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Joanna Holden. I'm from Berkeley. I grew up here. I am 26 year old, years old. I'm a Jewish and Irish trans woman. I kind of a bit of an underworld witch and ritual maker and storyteller um, and plant whisperer and I'm just really happy to be here with you. Thanks Joanna. Kelsey do you want to check in next? Hi everyone I'm Kelsey Maeve Crane Gustafson and I was born and raised in Berkeley California and my ancestors come from the British Isles, Ireland, and Scandinavia. And I work with bodies and trauma healing and art and creative expression for healing. And I have also been in a underworld descent and ancestral reclamation journey. So I'm very happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Kels. Chris? I'm Chris Malone Grossman. I'm a writer and a mother. I'm stoked to be here. I am Grace Steele. I'm calling in from Portland, Oregon, and I am also really excited to be back. Welcome back to our listeners. I am descended from folks from Western Europe and specifically Germany and the British Isles, and I am a field ecologist. Thanks, Grace. Just to know that you can find out more about all of the guests on today's show on the episode website, which you can find at weriseproduction.com and on iTunes and Spotify. It is such an honor to have all of you here. I'm Kat, um, and I'm gonna, I'll come back to a little intro about me, but just a bit about the show. This is the second round of this show called The Witching Hour, and it came into being as a response to the call for a dialogue, a public dialogue about the spiritual, the spiritual, the political, the thes are kind of arbitrary in my opinion, um, but responsibility as people racialized as white to recollect on our ancestry and step into the most brilliant manifestation of justice in these turbulent, violent times. And um, this episode in particular, I was excited to get it going because October, Halloween, autumn in the Northern Hemisphere 
are said to be a time when the veil between the worlds is thin. That is the way that I've heard it said. And I was really curious to know how my and uh, others' ancestors made meaning of that. What were their holidays? What were the names? Uh, were their practices? Where specifically on the planet were our ancestors at this time? And how did the the land and the animals and the beings around them inform these practices? And then also, I have been aware of the crisis level of trauma uh, in the United States. And so the second half of the show, we're going to be delving into some memories and casting some spells about making miracles that will be guided by some um, guided by a quote from Hannah Arendt. So that's a little bit of what could come up in the next little while. And of course, there will be some unexpected brilliance. And on the note of Hannah Arendt, I can just share that I am of Jewish and European descent. My dad's parents are Holocaust survivors. My mom's family has been in occupied California for generations. I'm so curious to learn more about the languages they spoke and just feel really inspired by by these legacies and the nuances of them to be able to show up and, and help have these conversations. So let's begin. How do your ancestors understand the quote, the thinning of the veil between the worlds? that marks this time of year, this season. Was there a name for this time in their languages that you're aware of? Are your ancestors from the Northern or Southern Hemisphere? How might that shape their relationship with autumn months? This is Grace. I can um, offer some insight on how some of my ancestors understood this time of year. Um, So Halloween is the holiday that we celebrate on October 31st. It's also the last day of the Celtic calendar, um, and it was originally a pagan holiday honoring the dead. And one way of understanding it is being referred to as All Hallows' Eve, dating back to over 2,000 years ago, to the Druids, a Celtic culture in Ireland and Great Britain and Northern Europe, which is where some of my ancestors are from. And so while I can't speak to specifically uh, which ones did what, I know that um, Samhain or um, Halloween or um, this holiday happened around this time of year to honor the dead and signifying summer's end, Mm. a harvest festival with potentially maybe big bonfires honoring the end of the Celtic year and the beginning of the new one. And um, the Celts, during the time, um, you know, honored the dead and who, you know, may have been like actively roaming around and offering gifts and things like this. So really in in sync with the seasons um, and also calling on their own ancestors is one way I've understood some of my ancestral celebrations of this time of year. Go for it, Kels. One major symbol that I have learned about my my Celtic ancestors is the symbol of the tree of life and how this tree can also be 
kind of a map for the worlds. And so the middle world being where we are as the ones who are alive in this moment and the upper world and the branches of the tree being the realm of the gods. And then actually when when people die, they go down into the roots. Mm -hmm. So this is a different concept than going up to heaven or down to hell. It's going into the roots of the tree of life. And one way that I interpret this symbol and this kind of mythology around the the worlds and the veils between the worlds is that like Persephone in the Greek pantheon, there is a time of year when we need to go underground. We need to go down and in and internal. And the story of Persephone is like she's up in the in the garden realm in the middle world and is suddenly taken under by Hades down to the dark realms. And there she's at first terrified and is taken against her will and may have gone into a freeze state or deep fear, trauma. Like, what happened? I was in the garden and now I'm in this mysterious place. But slowly she begins to open her senses and this realm of velvet and darkness and aliveness reveals itself to her and she actually becomes very curious and intrigued by it and by choice eats six pomegranate seeds and chooses to ingest and take in that ripe, juicy nectar of the darkness, which is reveals to her this whole world of senses and an inner turning that she wasn't aware of when she was a maiden in the meadow. And after eating those seeds, she's made this promise to come back every year. And so it's only when she's accepted and kind of made her relationship with the darkness whole that she can then return to her mother, Demeter, her kind of middle realm life and come back um, to the upper world and that's when spring can come back and the flowers can bloom and the fruits can come, but only until that underworld journey is made. And so for me right now, it's like that time of year where I'm being pulled under mm-hmm. and what, you know, like it or not, it's happening. And so it's like this moment of being offered some pomegranate seeds and like, are you willing? Are you willing to eat this? Are you willing to go under and down and will you resist it or will you um, surrender? And there's one more thing. There's a a being, the, the Kalig. Do you know the Kalig? She's an old goddess. She's like the crone. She She's the one with the light. She always has a light, a torch, and she lives in the um, roots of the tree. And so when you're going on the underworld journey, she guides you down. And so people tend to get lost in those twists and turns of the roots. And the Kalig is always there, always seeing, always a witness and a helper on those journeys. And so she's one to make offerings to and call in and um, respect at this time.
Thanks, Kelsey. One thing that resonates so powerfully for me about the Demeter and Persephone myth is Demeter's devotion to her daughter and her unwillingness to rest until she knows she'll see her daughter again. And at the same time, as you mentioned, Persephone's agency in choosing to eat the seeds and spend part of her life in the underworld, dwelling in the shadows, so that when she comes up to earth to reunite with her mother, she's more whole. And Demeter relentlessly searches and will not allow any sort of crops to bloom or bear fruit until she knows she'll be reunited with her child, which for me in this moment, thinking about the separations that are occurring, that are being forced upon caregivers and their children, gives me tremendous hope and it's remembering ancestry and our ancestors like Demeter and Persephone who empower us in this way and give us these memories to stand on. Mm-hmm. Y'all are amazing. I've been thinking a lot about um, safety and respectability recently. Uh, recently, I've been having a kind of strange new experience where I pass, and that has been weird for me um, to write on Muni. And, you know, people get up for me, and I'm like, y'all think I'm pregnant. That's what you think. Like, you think that I'm a cis pregnant woman and you're going to make space for me and you're going to respect my motherhood, even though I'm not a mother, even though my children are subsequent generations of trans girls. What you see is this respectable white woman and you want to make space for that. And when I think about the women in our society, the parents, the caregivers who are not respected but demonized and made into monsters and whose reproduction is not celebrated but treated as disease by white supremacy Mm -hmm. in this country. And also I think a lot about the ways that that was done to our ancestors, like the Kaylee Kaliach. I think about how in a lot of the legends that were kind of written over our ancestral Celtic legends, these older women are made into demonic crones who have to be slayed by a young, virile man, generally. Um, And how our stories are powerful, but they've also been, there's a, a well that has had some degree of poison thrown into it that's kind of created this mess where we're at where only some stories matter I had a really interesting fall experience recently I was in Sibley 
park, which is a very special place to me. It's a place where I feel like the veils are thin in our community. And I went there on the harvest moon because I knew there was a hawthorn tree there. And one thing about my Celtic ancestors is that their trees are very important medicine and trees are tied in with each other. And three trees in particular, the oak, the elder, and the thorn, hawthorn trees together when they occur said to mark a portal into the fairy realm <laughs> right <laughs> right so i was here at this tree in the kind of weak late uh, evening sunlight gathering these berries in the warmth but with a sort of coldness in the light and all these bugs were flitting around me and i'm just there humming away putting little red berries into my jar and i'm like this is nice but i feel like i'm kind of being told my my presence here is being problematized by these bugs and at a certain point i'm like oh are these fairies and i i suddenly stopped feeling like oh this is like a place where i'm not supposed to be and it's like this is they're trying to send me some kind of message to carry with me and spending an hour with that plant put me in this kind of very very the veil was very thin and i was walking back and to my car and I just had this vision come over me uh, after this evening in the warm light and these red fiery berries of the idea, the image of um, Prometheus came up to me and I think when we think about uh, heroes in Western mythology, it's always these young angry men, which to me is not heroic. But I'm reimagining this idea of stealing fire not as this like personal macho thing, but as like hmm. fire thieves as being people who take back power from hierarchy and bring it to the people. And mm. I've been developing this relationship with plants, Hawthorne, and Hawthorne is heart medicine. My partner died last summer, and I've been working on ways to hold my heart. A lot of my friends struggle with this plant because letting yourself be held can actually bring up a lot of trauma that you didn't allow yourself to feel. And finding ways to hold ourselves by ourselves, not expect people with power to do that work for us, I think is part of my work at least. Like I don't expect white men to suddenly stop becoming perpetrators. I'm just so excited to learn from my siblings, especially trans women of color, who have, for generations, been doing the work without expecting someone to come in on a chariot and save them. Mm -hmm. um, and learning to dwell in the places of hurt until they become beautiful and mysterious and capable of healing and capable of bursting forth into a new spring. Yes. Thank you. Wow. I'm going to jump in. Um, I'm not going to speak actually directly to this question for a handful of reasons, but I definitely encourage folks who are listening who have uh, Jewish ancestry to do some digging. I'm not an expert on it. I didn't grow up with Jewish traditions, but the, as I learn, it's um, it feels really nourishing and kind of ecstatic, actually. But I'm going to actually pivot just slightly. I really want to bring in the words of Hannah Arendt. And this is all related. Um, 
So Hannah Arendt, um, I wanted to be like, can you raise your hand? Who's heard of her? I can't see you <laughs> listening. Um, but I recommend, again, looking her up. She is a woman who was alive during the Nazi holo- during and after the Nazi Holocaust. And she's a, a scholar, a writer. She has written on totalitarianism. And she was a journalist. Um, she spent a lot of time thinking and writing about patterns and politics of domination and corruption and evil. And I think a lot of her work is echoed in the time we're living in, in a way. And she also is known for writing and talking about the banality of evil, which is a really nuanced idea, but partially kind of sheds light on the fact that we all have agency and can start to perceive better the webbing of oppression and can make different choices. And so she has a quote, and I'm going to read it. This was shared with me by a dear friend. It was floating around Instagram, um, so I, I don't know which text it came from. And so Hannah Arendt writes, The new always happens against the overwhelming odds of statistical laws and their probability which for all practical everyday purposes amounts to certainty. The new, therefore, always appears in the guise of a miracle. And I love this because for some reason, I definitely have felt waves of trauma and grief and rage in the last year and and throughout my life. And... There's just something right now that feels so exciting about this concept of miracles. And also, you know, in the start of the show, I said spiritual and political. And and partially, I almost want to say what I meant by spiritual was magic. And partially what I mean by that is that we're powerful. And as self-identified witches, I would love to use um, the rest of our time recording to get into that space of wicked creativity So any initial responses to the quote or anything I just said before I keep it going? Okay, tell me, what's been giving you life this season? Death. (laughs) Amen. Totally. Risk. Risk. Uh, Risk and pain. Mm -hmm. And... um, Risking being vulnerable, risking showing up, uh, the pain of being in an animal body and like being reminded of that, not that bodies are pain, but just anxiety and pain and, um, and being held in all of those endeavors. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that we all mentioned kind of these themes or emotions that might be deemed as negative or difficult or challenging or bad and yet it's what's bringing us life and isn't that so often the case like my experience of life is challenging and enlivening and 
if I ask, if I let myself be guided, I'm an artist, I paint and, and sing. And if I let myself be guided by the question, where's the point of greatest aliveness mm. while I'm painting, Ooh. if I don't have an image of like, I'm going to paint a perfect scene of like a house and a tree, you know, if I don't have any preconceived ideas of what I'm going to create, then then um, then miracles do happen. It's like a language. It's a way of speaking to the unconscious or the other realms or the intuition or the impulse or the darkness. And what often comes up is something that's so terrifying for me. And it could be different for every person. But maybe for me, painting the entire page red is taboo. That would be too much, too bright, too red, too much red. And yet... If I'm having a strong resistance, that's exactly what what I need to paint because in painting it, I'm turning towards my fear. I'm turning towards what, what's scary and I'm, I'm making it manifest. And so this is a way of honoring and it's a practice. It's a practice of being in the present moment connection with the creative erotic impulse and of Facing fear, being courageous, cultivating a language of connection that has a lot to do with listening and a lot to do with surrender. And the things that come out in my paintings are often taboo, often weird or ugly or terrifying. And also this practice brings me so much life. Mm. Joe, did you want to share a response to the question? There's just a lot bubbling up for me right now. Um, all of it's really good. Um, but vulnerability is something that I, f I hear in what you just said, Kelsey. And being vulnerable, like, I know it, I, I've been, it's always a struggle for me as an empath to have boundaries while also allowing myself to be that conduit for energy and information. Um, and just being present with my body, honestly, sex has been a really powerful, magical, mm -hmm. like portal for me, especially as I've like come into my identity as like a trans woman who loves trans women and allowing myself to be present with the ways that trauma comes up in my body, trauma that's informed by living in a homophobic society, uh, misogynist society, transphobic society, and kind of letting those like hard, sticky, self-hating feelings kind of melt into the earth mm. uh, in this like beautiful container that I'm able to create with my partner. That's been really healing for me. And I think it's created this deep well for me that allows me to go out into situations that aren't comfortable and that are vulnerable. I was recently up in Northern California for the entire weekend at the Transcend Retreat, which is a gathering in the woods uh, led by black and indigenous trans people. And it's open to everyone who's trans and gender non-conforming. And I spent most of the weekend crying. Um, and that was really complicated for me to feel because I understood that a lot of the feelings that I was feeling weren't feelings from my experience but they were, they were just reflected in the people who was around me and I was able to really feel them, the trauma of growing up the way that I am, even as a white woman in this society, mm -hmm. uh, the trauma that I've incurred 
by trying to hide. Um, and I was really in it. And at one point, one of my friends came up to me and said, you're, you're a weeper. That's part of your magic. And I was like, oh, wow. so this thing that I've been doing since I was wow. a kid of like sobbing and some mm. of my strongest, most poignant memories growing up are of crying mm. is actually a gift. And it's mm. a gift to my community to be able to channel the emotions everyone is feeling that some people can't access because yeah. of the depth of trauma that we felt. And now my question is, how do I bring that gift to all my people? I want to bring that gift to white people. I want to bring grief to white people because I think that grieving is healthy. And I think that feeling our grief is how we make the flowers grow. Wow. Thank you for that segue to the next question I want to ask. And I want to quickly respond to the, the question I posed to say that Nadia Tolokonikova of Pussy Riot is giving me life this season. Mm. And you can look that up the next thing i wanted to ask is what new questions are making themselves known to you so joe just named this beautiful question so what new questions are making themselves known to you how do i make peace with ancestors who've harmed me and harmed others and how do i love them where I am and where they are? How do I engage them in conversation that will cultivate relationship and healing? How do I care for them so that my children will care for them? So that I might better care for my children and for myself? This past summer, as my father was dying, succumbing to a lifetime of addiction, I felt the ancestors with me so powerfully, and I felt his spirit with me in a way that he was unable to be with me when he was completely grounded in this realm. For two months leading up to my father's death, I went out into the trees. And what came to me every day was a miracle. <laughs> a miracle of feathers coming to me, a profusion every day, so that when I would come home and place them on the altar, Soon the altar could no longer hold all of them. After my father died, my brother and my father came home. <laughs> they went home. My mother and I took them to the ocean. I carried my brother and my father on my back with all of the feathers that had come to me. I took them to Muir Beach with my family and we stood in the sand and honored 
their lives. One of my aunts standing in the circle knows birds in a way that I don't know birds, in a way that her mother taught her and her grandmother taught her. She was able to identify all the birds that were with us as we took the feathers and allowed the wind to carry them. It only takes one wave to grab the ashes of a human body Mm. and embrace them and carry them out into the current. When the feathers started to come to me, I realized how very little I know. Mm-hmm. Not only about my ancestors, but about anything. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do know is that the feather stopped coming after that. It was very tempting to hang on to them because they were so beautiful. Hawk and owl and stellar's jay and chickadee and junco and woodpecker. All of these spirits with us. There is a lesson here that I am still learning as the veil thins. It is no accident that today would have been my brother's 58th birthday. And I'm so grateful to be here with you all, honoring our ancestors in this way. Thank you for that story. One question that has been arising for me and that Chris, your story touched on, and also Joanna, is this life we're living. Like I said, I was born and raised in what's known now as Berkeley, California, occupied Ohlone territory. It's unceded land, and my ancestors came here as settlers. And so in my exploration of ancestry, a question I have is, what do I have a responsibility to carry? What's mine to carry, right? What's, what's mine to carry forward? What's mine to heal, right? Um, and what responsibility do I have to my blood lineage? I can get really romantic about this and want to go back to my pre-patriarchal goddess ancestors, and that's really juicy and fun. And then also how to take responsibility and heal mm-hmm. the lineage of colonization and violence. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, what responsibility do I have to the ancestors of this land that I was born on that is the land I know best? And how do I build relations with all of these ancestors? How do I build relations and be an ally to the ancestors of this place where I live and where my f- a lot of my food comes from and where my where where the trees grow that I relate to and so where the waters are that take the ashes where the feathers come from where are these birds and plants native to and so and I'm holding all of that and asking you know at a time like this what's what's my responsibility to recover and remember about tending these relations and acknowledging that a lot of those ways have been systematically 
severed on purpose and it's it's not a an easy thing or a simple thing to acknowledge what's been lost or deemed unimportant historically and to try to to really care and to really show up and admit that I care and it does bring a lot of grief and a lot more questions than answers. Do you want to respond, Joanna or Grace? Otherwise I can ask more questions. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, you kind of started it. <laughs> you started the with the question about grief and being a, a wise weeper. Okay. What examples of resistance or rebellion that came before us strengthen your resolve in this moment? This might be a what or a who or a where or a how. I just came back from Iceland and I do have some Scandinavian ancestors, but not from Iceland. Um, but I was thinking a lot about migratory seabirds when I was there because it's such an important uh, place for many species of birds, uh, specifically seabirds. And when I first read this question, what example of resistance, rebellion, revolution, strengthen your resolve, I thought of two things. Um, neither of them were human. Mm -hmm. I first thought of the Arctic, ter Arctic tern, which is a seabird that has by far the longest migration route of any creature on the planet. They will routinely fly from pole to pole, and a single bird could fly over 70,000 kilometers in the course of a year, going from, you know, the North Pole down to America, say, or um, across Europe and down Africa and over to Australia or New Zealand before hitting the Southern Pole, heading back. Wow. Um not in a straight line, but a kind of a circuitous route. And the tenacity to be a seabird migrating along your ancestral routes in the face of such ecological collapse and uncertainty, guided by instinct or the night sky or magnets, yeah. is just audacious to me and makes me emotional <laughs> yeah, and feels like a sheer act of resistance in the face of just what's happening right now to do a Arctic turns home. Who knows what will happen along any of those stops from year to year. Um, and just to keep doing it because that's what you do and that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Is one thing. And then the other thing is a little bit less, uh, uh, is more my backyard. Um, I love to grow food and I love to grow tomatoes. And this year, I always carefully start them from seed and side and like give them, I like spoil them with this lovely potting soil and like a warm lamp and try and get them <laughs> so that they'll be ready and in March or April or June and whenever it's time to put them outside. My little tomato babies and little hot pepper babies. And um, this year, or inevitably, by the time I put the babies outside, maybe another few weeks passes, these little stowaways 
sprout in the gravel around the garden bed. And they end up being as juicy and abundant and stubborn than any of the babies I started inside. And I didn't even recognize the ba- the cherry tomato stowaway that grew out of the gravel. I didn't even water it all summer, and it got huge. And I, it boxed out all the jalapenos around it. And I just think about that. I think about that stowaway cherry tomato, like, just laughing at me and also, like, begging for love and, and offering so much abundance. Like, oh just God. here, here's all this fruit to all the creatures that, like, come through the backyard and, and myself. And and I I feel hopeful about both the Arctic turn and the tomato. Oh, my God. And, um, when I when I think about trying to get through each day and the daily grind and the and the and the warming planet and the drying up of fresh water and the uncertainty of tomorrow or twenty years or four generations and I feel heartened and hopeful. Thanks for asking. Wow, um, an invitation if you feel so inclined to draw. The stowaway, I forget the other word you used, tomato baby. Maybe that could be the artwork for this episode or the Arctic (laughs) turn. Uh, Just just if you want. For me, resistance, we can engage in it in so many ways. And just acknowledging that for me is critical. So one, sharing and holding story whenever possible and taking time to do so during the day when it's possible. Gathering as much story as I can in the form of books that were kept from me (laughs) when I was growing up, kept from us by dominant culture, learning as much as we can about our history understanding the foundation and the work, Mm -hmm. the immense amount of labor that people have engaged in resisting for so long and the various ways of resistance that people engage in, be it in my ancestry or the ancestry of other people. Three making art together as much as possible. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I have one story of resistance that inspires me on the daily, which is the story of Lilith. And do y'all know the story of Lilith? Do you ever? (laughs) (laughs) Lilith is on my altar and I did not know what I was going getting into when Mm -hmm. I put her there. (laughs) So originally, Adam, the story goes, um, was androgynous and so was God. There's no, you know, they're like beyond gender. And somehow, I guess the animals um, were coupling up and and Adam, Adam thought, I want a mate. And so Adam had been created out of the soil and God created another being out of the soil, Lilith. And... She was the first other being. And so Adam was like, awesome, time to mate. And he was like, all right, Lilith, lay down. And she says, 
what do you mean, Adam? You lay down. I'm going to be on top. And they had this power struggle. And she said, I'm made out of the same earth as you. So we're equal. You get on bottom. I want to ride you. He said, no, no, I'm made of the superior earth and you're made out of the filth and sediment that was left over. You get on bottom. And she told Adam, I would rather banish myself from this whole Garden of Eden than submit to your patriarchal control. (laughs) And she fled to the outside of the garden and became what's known as the demoness or the screech owl. And she just circles the outer rims and she banished herself. Lilith inspires me because she's like, no, if the only way that I can stay in this garden is to submit to you, then I don't even want any piece of this garden. And it reminds me of like, it is no sign of health Mm. to adapt to a sick culture. Mm. Like it is no sign of health to stay in the garden when the garden is unhealthy. And yes, she's demonized. Yes, she's called the screech owl. And yes, Adam created another more obedient mate from his rib. And so they're both, and they're both shamed. And neither one has a story that's, held in a an empowered way and yet I'm learning to hold Lilith's story with more power and I know a lot of people are and so honoring her the choice her honoring her agency is something that I'm doing and also I feel a lot of heartbreak for the way that she's spoken about and the way that that story is held by some mm-hmm. it's unfair Joe mm. a lot of trans women really identify with Lilith which I deeply understand And, you know, as a Jew, I'm really interested in reclaiming that because for thousands of years, my femme ancestors did all this ritual work to keep Lilith away. But now I'm trying to bring her Hmm. into my space because being in the garden hasn't helped us. I think about the way that I grew up in this well-to-do white household where my parents didn't have intimate friendships. They were in a codependent relationship, and my idea of what love looked like was this intense fear of being abandoned and left alone Mm. and thrown out. Um, So what has been giving me strength recently has just been falling in love a lot Mm. in ways that transcend romance and Mm. building family with people, being truly vulnerable because of that love and being in not just like friendship, not just like comradeship, but being family with my siblings of color, being family with black women has given me this unique understanding of just how important survival is. And it's been really nourishing me as a trans lesbian to understand that when you have a child whose existence is problematized Mm. by these bastards in charge, survival (laughs) and nourishment and love is the most radical thing you can do. Mm. Like creating a family for all us Liliths where we don't have to depend on the structures that they provided us with in order to be fed Make our own garden. Make our own damn garden. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do. And that's what's giving me strength. 
Thank with you. With rogue tomatoes and all. With rogue tomatoes. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Please. I have three more questions. Okay. I'm going to ask them. We have six minutes. So please answer in a word to a sentence at most. Okay? Okay. It's a game. Okay. Ready? What are you fighting for? Love. The babies. Better. Justice. How are you fighting? Daily. With help from... <laughs> With help from the other side. With lots of breaks, staying hydrated, and dancing. On my bike with the wind. All right, witches, it's spellcasting time. Returning to Hannah Arendt's words, what miracles are you or would you like to steward, embody, and or co-create at this time? Do we get a sentence? <laughs> yeah, you can get a sentence. <laughs> I would like to co-create that garden, that other garden, a new garden with an end to racialized violence and an end to gender-based violence and an end to the exploitation of the earth in commodification of all beings. I just want to throw a better party than <laughs> the people in power have been able to throw and get everyone else to show up. A radical witch's garden party <laughs> where the numbness can be thawed out to make way for the weepers and the erotic mm. impulses of creativity and emotion and waves of feeling, being safe, mm. our bodies feeling and being safe. Where we can listen to creatures like the screech owl. Mm. Where we can connect to the other side through the sensation and tending to our own bodies. Thank you all so very much for showing up with such audaciousness and courage and vision. I'm not going to add to that vision. It's perfect. And um, uh, just a reminder for our listeners, I hope you're also feeling, seeing, experiencing, however, um, this for yourselves and your communities and your ancestry and your loved ones. We got this. And We Rise is now available. <laughs> Muggle language. We Rise is now available on iTunes <laughs> and Spotify, which is really cool. I will say miraculous as far as miracles go um yeah absolutely we rise this is all part of what we're up to so feel free to check it out there we rise production.com we rise producers at gmail.com if you want to be in touch and have ideas and also we're on twitter and instagram at we rise production any final words I realized I sang that song in the beginning incorrectly. Can I sing it one more time? Yes, please. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Our ancestors.
ancestors are rooting for us. Expect miracles. We will survive.